Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. I recently heard the acronym COI and I didn't know what it meant. Well, I know now and I am applying it to keeping your vendor data clean. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 164. What is the COI of your bad vendor data? So some of you might be wondering, what the heck is COI? And I have a very bad memory. I do not remember what I was listening to. I don't know if it was a podcast. I don't know if I was watching, you know, some business uh, YouTube video. I really don't know where I got it from, but it intrigued me based on the context. And so I looked it up. And for those of you that are just like me and didn't know what it was, COI stands for cost of inaction. And of course, because I focus on the vendor process and vendor data and keeping that vendor data clean, I thought I'd do an episode on the cost of inaction as it relates to your bad vendor data. And so I know, you know, those folks that have bad vendor data out there, I know, you know, you have it. I know that it is um, can be a very manual process to keep up with the validations, to keep, keep up with the inactivation or deactivation of vendors that you haven't done business with over a period of time. I know all of that is a manual process. And I also know that especially this time of year and at the time this podcast episode is being published, it's, you know, the first week, first First full week of December. And so you've got AP staff that are focused on getting those invoices uh, in before year end. And so the amount or the volume increases because now all of those invoices are coming in that have been sitting on desk all year round. And so you've got to rally the troops and they all have to work on getting those invoices in. So I get that, but I also get that clean and accurate vendor data in your vendor master file needs to be a priority. And so I have one, two, three, four, five costs of inaction that are really results of your bad vendor data. 
And when I say cost of inaction, I'm going to focus on the word cost because all of these have a cost um, of money to your organization. So let's get started with number one. The first one is duplicate payments. So if you have bad vendor data in your vendor master file, um, and that bad vendor data is because you have the same vendor in there multiple times, then you have the potential for duplicate payments. Now I have three ways that you can avoid, actually four ways that you can avoid duplicate payments. The first three are during the onboarding process of a new vendor. So your vendor team member that's uh, adding this new vendor or receives a request to uh, add a new vendor needs to check to see if that vendor is already set up in the database. And they need to check um, three ways. Uh, The first way is, Uh, They need to check by vendor name. And then if they can't find it by vendor name, then they need to check it by uh, tax ID. And if they can't find the vendor by tax ID, then they need to check by address. So in other words, if the first name or the vendor's legal name um, was fat fingered, then they've got uh, two other ways that they can search, um, that they can find it with the tax ID or with the address or vice versa. Maybe they don't, they don't have a tax ID. Uh, if you in your system don't require a tax ID, uh, in order to set a vendor up, I think that's a bad process by the way. Um, but if you don't require that, then they're not going to have one to check against, but then they can find it by the legal name or the address. And then if they flub the ad or the vendor legal name, uh, Uh, fat fingered that, and you do not require a tax ID, then they can find it uh, via the address. So have them check those three ways. And then if that uh, vendor uh, can't find the vendor checking those three ways, then go ahead and add it. Um, The fourth way that I talked about is doing during a vendor master file cleanup, um, then you want to check for uh, duplicate vendors when you do the review of the vendor Uh, of the vendor master file. And I actually have an eight step process for cleaning your vendor master file. And I just did an episode on it on November 11th of this year. It's episode 161. So take a, uh, go back and listen to that episode. If you want an eight step process to clean your vendor master file, which does include reviewing for duplicate vendors. So that's the first cost of inaction is duplicate payments. The second cost of inaction is fraud. And this is both internal and external. So if you have, um, let's take internal or occupational fraud first. If you have bad vendor data, and when I say bad vendor data, I mean you have an internal employee that has substituted the vendor's uh, address, remit address, uh, if you are making check payments to the vendor's or has substituted the banking information on the vendor record in the vendor master file for their own, then when you make a payment to a vendor, then that uh, vendor's uh, payment is going to be made to the employee. 
And one way you can uh, offset that or mitigate that is to have a validation and it can run in the back end, but it's like a continuous monitoring of validation uh, comparison of the your uh, employees payroll information against the vendors uh banking or remit, uh, remit address, uh, making sure that the, uh, employees, uh, address and bank account information doesn't match the same on, uh, your vendor master file or in your vendor master file. And that check really needs to be a continuous thing, that, uh, comparison or that match. And it doesn't have to be done, um, specifically by someone in your group. You can have it set that up in the background and just have uh, management, uh, receive a notification if there is ever a match. And so you want to, uh, make sure that you're always checking for internal or occupational fraud. And then the second piece of that is, uh, external fraud. And we all know that, you know, you get requests from these cyber criminals uh, to change the vendor's banking um, or also the remit address because it happens with check payments too. But you get the re- these bogus requests um, to change uh, vendor banking or vendor remit address uh, and cyber criminals try to get past you with social engineering so that you update the vendor's record in your vendor master file with this fraudulent data and then divert that payment. Now, a couple of ways that you can mitigate um, this business email compromise, and that's what it's called. Um, But two ways you can mitigate it. One is when authentication and um, with authentication, you're authenticating who's actually sending you those requests to make sure that, that it's your real vendor. And then you're also authenticating the data where you're requiring um, specific information to match to what you already have in the vendor uh, vendor's existing record in your vendor master file. And that's also validating that you're getting it from your real vendor. So a uh, great um, example of both of those is requiring um, the last four digits of the existing uh, vendor vendor's banking information in order to authenticate who's sending you the request. And then once you authenticate that um, requester, then on your company brand at ACH um, form, which I recommend because you can put whatever you want on there to validate um, the vendor is who they say they are um, or to authenticate um, they are who they say they are. Um, you want to authenticate the data and that would be on that form requiring the existing vendors uh, banking information. And on both of those, at both of those steps, if they do not, if they are not successful, um, then you can, you've just uh, eliminated or reduced your potential for um, making a fraudulent payment. So that's one way with authentication. And then the second way is there are tools out there or platforms that you can use to uh, verify bank account ownership. Now, of course, I did do a podcast episode on that, and that is episode 103. And that episode is called Free and Paid Resources to Validate Vendor Banking Details. So take a listen to that if you want some resources to validate uh, bank account ownership. All right. So that was uh, the second one, fraud, uh, internal 
and external. Now, the third one is NACHA fines. And so for those of you that are not familiar with NACHA, they are the body that governs the ACH network. And so they have rules um, that you have to uh, you have to remain in compliance with. And uh, that means that when you send your pay file to the bank to pay that vendor, it needs to have accurate data uh, on that pay file. And so a great example is, let's say you have routing numbers for a um, U.S. Uh, bank account for your vendor. Uh if that routing number changes, because you know banks merge and they are acquired all the time, if that routing number changes, you need to make that change um, in your uh, vendor master file on the applicable vendor record. And so the last one, and I talk about it all the time because it's the last one that I know of um, uh, that went through this merger acquisition process, and that is SunTrust and BB&T. Um, uh, merged uh, and they became Truist. And so Truist now has a new uh, ACH or routing number and the routing numbers for BB&T and SunTrust are now no longer good. So if you think about it now, you're probably thinking of all the vendors that you might have in your vendor master file that still have those uh, BB&T and SunTrust routing numbers, because you know the vendors are never going to tell you um, that the uh, that it changed or that you know they've got new information for Truist because uh, they probably just didn't pay attention or because they didn't know they needed to let you know. You're going to find that out though when you send that uh, BB&T or SunTrust uh, routing number in the pay file, um, your bank is going to get it and they are going to make the change. And honestly, I don't know if it's your bank that makes a change or the ven- uh, the vendor's bank that makes the change, but they're going to make that change and update it to the correct routing number, but they're not going to do that forever. Um, uh, I know that I've received notices in the past because um, we have not done that. And you will get a notice of change um, from your bank indicating what change they had to make. And if you get too many of those, then you could be reported to NACHA. NACHA will send you a notification and then you could be subject to fines for not updating that information. So me, when I was a uh, practitioner, uh, uh, AP senior manager, I always had someone assigned to uh, review those notice of changes that came in every day from the bank and then follow up with the vendor to get that information updated. Because again, if they if you do not change it and the bank has to change it too many times, then um, you could be reported and then su- uh, susceptible to NACHA fines. But if you clean your vendor master file, one of the steps I talk about is to validate the ABA routing numbers um, for U.S. banks and also um, the SWIFT or the BIT code for non-U.S. banks where um, the country it's not a country that requires an IBAN. I always uh, check when I do my five-day vendor master file cleanups, um, that step Uh, One of the steps in that cleanup process always includes verifying um, the ABA uh, routing numbers and the SWIFT and BIT codes to make sure they're still valid. And that step 
again, is in the eight step um, process to clean your vendor master file, which is in episode 161. So um, go ahead and listen to that episode if you want to have an eight step process to clean your vendor master file. All right. So that was the third cost of inaction and it was nacha fines. Now the fourth cost of inaction is return 1099s and 1042s. Now this one doesn't necessarily um, result in a uh, a cost to your company, but it could be an indication that you're going to get one um, with the fifth one. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but just to talk about return 1099s and 1042s. And all those start getting sent out in January, uh, depending on if you're sending a 1099 NEC, 1099 miscellaneous, or the 1042. So all of those are going to start in January and end in um, March. And so you're going to send all of those out. The problem is, is that if you have bad addresses um, and they are undeliverable, then they're going to come right back to you. And that's uh, that process in itself um, doesn't really cost you anything except for manual um, manual labor because it's really a manual process to deal with all those um, return 1099s and 1042s. What I used to have the team do is I would have the team um, open up that envelope, scan in uh, the 1099, attach it to the vendor record so we knew that it came back um, and we had a copy of it on the vendor record. And then I would also have them log it. And then after both of those things were done, then they went and started researching to get, um, or reaching, researching, reaching out to the vendor to get an updated address so they can send that 1099 or 1042 back out. Now, again, that initial process or um, event of that 1099 or 1042 coming back doesn't have a direct cost associated with it, but getting that back and then having to reach out to the vendor to try to send those 1099s and 1042s back out delays the amount of time that you have if there needs to be corrections. So for example, let's say you have a 1099 uh, NEC vendor, um, you sent that 1099 NEC out by January 31st, you sent it to a wrong address. It came back to you um, mid-February. Your team logged it, they uh, scanned it, and then they reached out to the vendor. They found the right address. They sent it to the right address, but now the vendor doesn't get it until the end of February. And then the vendor, once they get it, identifies that there needs to be a correction um, because maybe the reportable uh, amounts are not correct. And then you make that correction. You send the corrected 1099 to the vendor and then you file that with the IRS. But guess what? Now it's more than 30 days late and now you're going to get a penalty from the IRS because now you're 30 days late with that filing. 
So having bad addresses and getting those uh, return 1099s and 1042s doesn't directly um, result in a uh, cost. However, it does have manual um, labor. And so that technically is a cost for you, but it can result in IRS penalties for that late filing if you don't find out that it needs to be corrected and refiled until after you're able to process that return 1099 and then get it into the vendor's hand for them to tell you that there is an issue. Now, one way that you can mitigate having uh, bad addresses or undeliverable addresses is to make sure that when you're onboarding vendors or changing vendors or doing your vendor master file cleanup, that you're checking the address format and the status. So there is a a platform out there called Smarty Streets. And Smarty Streets will not only check to make sure that uh, you have the right format, but they'll also check to verify that it's deliverable, meaning that the status of the address is valid. And so if you're used to the United States Postal Service or USPS, right, they will verify um uh, tell you that the address is valid. They'll, you know, format it. Uh, they'll give you the correct format. They'll even give you the plus four. Um, if you're using 10 checks, same thing for U.S. addresses. Um, but they won't tell you if the address is vacant, if the address is inactive, or if it's a P.O. box only, which could be an indicator of fraud. Um, USPS has this information. We just don't get it. Um, but Smarty Streets will tell you that. They'll do everything that USPS does or uh, 10 check does, but then they will tell you if it's uh, if that address is vacant, if it's uh, inactive, or if it's a P.O. box only. And in this way, you can do your research ahead of time to get the correct address from your vendor and don't lose all that time going back and forth with that uh, return form coming back to you and then having to do the research and taking that um, extra time to send it to the vendor for them to come back and say that there's something wrong. So you uh, gain all of that time that you would have been doing that back and forth with the, uh, with the mail. All right, so that was number four, return 1099s and 1042s, which is a great segue into the fifth cost of inaction, and that is IRS penalties for tax filing. Now, just as we talked about um, late filings uh, as a result of return 1099s and 1042s or any other reason why you may have a late tax filing, um, you can also have penalties for inaccurate data, so missing or incorrect tens. So it is important that the vendor legal name and taxpayer identification number combination matches IRS records. And the best mitigation for this, and hopefully most of you are already doing this, is to do the IRS 10 match when you onboard a new vendor. And really, you should do the IRS 10 match when you change an existing vendor as well, because the vendor may, you know, just want to make sure you get their updated address so their checks go to the right place. They may not understand that, you know, they got acquired and they have a new legal name, a new tax 
tax ID, they may not understand that whatever change they just went through really affects how you re, uh, report them to the IRS. And so they may not give you an updated W-9. So at the time that you do any type of change on the vendor record, do another IRS 10 match to make sure that there are no other changes that that vendor is not reporting. Um, And then when you're doing your vendor master file cleanup, part of that process or one of the steps in that process is to do a bulk upload um, of your vendor legal name and tax IDs, either directly with the IRS, they do have a free bulk bulk upload process. You can also do it with 10check.com. Now 10check.com does does charge for that, but they also include watch list validations. So it could be worth it to you. But you do this bulk upload, you validate the uh, legal name and tax ID matches IRS records and those that don't, you be proactive and reach out to the vendor to get updated uh, a updated W-9 so that when you do send your 1099s and when you do report it to the IRS, you have the correct vendor legal name and tax ID. And of course, if you don't and you do your IRS uh, filing with the wrong vendor legal name and tax ID combination, then you're not only looking at penalties, but you're also looking at a completely manual um, B notice process, which is where you're required to reach out to the vendor and obtain an updated W-9. And if the vendor doesn't do it within the specified time, now you have to do backup withholding. And that whole process can be manual because not every accounting system in ERP has an automated way to do backup withholding. So you see where I'm going. It just kind of snowballs into penalties, manual processes, and you can avoid all of that cost of inaction by validating um, your vendor's legal name and tax ID. All right, so that was the fifth cost of inaction IRS penalties for your tax reporting or tax filing. All right, so those were the five cost of inactions of your bad vendor data. And I'll go over them one more time. It was duplicate payments. It was fraud, both internal and external. It was notcha fines. It was return 1099s and 1042s. And finally, IRS penalties for the tax filing. Now, if you know you have bad vendor data and you don't have the staff nor the time to get it cleaned out, before you have to send uh, your 1099s and 1042s and then report it with the IRS. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes to my five-day vendor master file cleanup or my 24-hour just the bare bones validations uh, that gets you the IRS uh, 10 match. It gets you the address standardization so that um, you can file accurately. And when you send those 1099s and 1042s, they won't come back. So I'll leave a link in the show notes for those two services. If you know you need to get it cleaned up and you know you won't have time. All right. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 164th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. 
Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.